Chapter Twenty Two of the Life and Adventures of Sir Lancelot Greaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Life and Adventures of Sir Lancelot Greaves by Tobias Smollett. Chapter Twenty Two in which Captain Crow is sublimed into the regions on astrology. Three whole days had our adventurer prosecuted his inquiry about the amiable Aurelia, whom he sought in every place of public and of private entertainment or resort, without obtaining the least satisfactory intelligence. When he received one evening, from the hands of a porter, who instantly vanished, the following billet. If you would learn the particulars of Miss Darnell's fate, fail not to be in the fields by the Foundling Hospital, precisely at seven o'clock this evening, when you shall be met by a person who will give you the satisfaction you desire, together with his reason for addressing you in this mysterious manner. Had this intimation concerned any other subject, perhaps the knight would have deliberated with himself in what manner he should take a hint so darkly communicated. But his eagerness to retrieve the jewel he had lost divested him of all his caution. The time of assignation was already at hand, and neither the captain nor his nephew could be found to accompany him, had he been disposed to make use of their attendance. He therefore, after a moment's hesitation, repaired to the place appointed, in the utmost agitation and anxiety, lest the hour should be elapsed before his arrival. Crow was one of those defective spirits who cannot subsist for any length of time on their own bottoms. He wanted a familiar prop, upon which he could disburden his cares, his doubts, and his humours, an humble friend who would endure his caprices, and with whom he could communicate free of all reserve and restraint. Though he loved his nephew's person, and admired his parts, he considered him often as a little petulant jackanapes, who presumed upon his superior understanding. And as for Sir Lancelot, there was something in his character that overawed the seaman, and kept him at a disagreeable distance. He had, in this dilemma, cast his eyes upon Timothy Crabshaw, and admitted him to a considerable share of familiarity and fellowship. These companions had been employed in smoking a social pipe at an alehouse in the neighbourhood, when the knight made his excursion, and returning to the house about supper-time, found Mr. Clark in waiting. The young lawyer was alarmed when he heard the hour of ten, without seeing our adventurer, who had been used to be extremely regular in his economy, and the captain and he supped in profound silence. Finding, upon inquiry among the servants, that the knight went out abruptly, in consequence of having received a billet, Tom began to be visited with the apprehension of a duel, and sat the best part of the night by his uncle, sweating with the expectation of seeing our hero brought home a breathless corpse. But no tidings of him arriving, he, about two in the morning, 
repaired to his own lodging resolved to publish a description of sir lancelot in the newspapers if he should not appear next day crow did not pass the time without uneasiness he was extremely concerned at the thought of some mischief having befallen his friend and patron and he was terrified with the apprehensions that in case sir lancelot was murdered his spirit might come and give him notice of his fate now he had an insuperable aversion to all correspondence with the dead and taking it for granted that the spirit of his departed friend could not appear to him except when he should be alone and abed in the dark he determined to pass the remainder of the night without going to bed for this purpose his first care was to visit the garret in which timothy crabshaw lay fast asleep snoring with his mouth wide open him the captain with difficulty roused by dint of promising to regale him with a bowl of rum punch in the kitchen where the fire which had been extinguished was soon rekindled the ingredients were fetched from a public-house in the neighbourhood for the captain was too proud to use his interest in the knight's family especially at these hours when all the rest of the servants had retired to their repose and he and timothy drank together until daybreak the conversation turning upon hobgoblins and god's revenge against murder the cookmaid lay in a little apartment contiguous to the kitchen and whether disturbed by these horrible tales of apparitions or titillated by the savoury steams that issued from the punch-bowl she made a virtue of necessity or appetite and dressing herself in the dark suddenly appeared before them to the no small perturbation of both timothy in particular was so startled that in his endeavours to make a hasty retreat towards the chimney-corner he overturned the table the liquor was spilt but the bowl was saved by falling on a heap of ashes mrs cook having reprimanded him for his foolish fear declared she had got up betimes in order to scour her saucepans and the captain proposed to have the bowl replenished if materials could be procured this difficulty was overcome by crabshaw and they sat down with their new associate to discuss the second edition the night's sudden disappearing being brought upon the carpet their female companion gave it as her opinion that nothing would be so likely to bring this affair to light as going to a cunning man whom she had lately consulted about a silver spoon that was mislaid and who told her all the things that she ever did and ever would happen to her through the whole course of her life her two companions pricked up their ears at this intelligence and crow asked if the spoon had been found she answered in the affirmative and said the cunning man described to a hare the person that should be her true lover and her wedded husband that he was a seafaring man that he was pretty well stricken in years a little passionate or so and that he went with his fingers clinched like as it were the captain began to sweat at this description and mechanically thrust his hands into his pockets while crabshaw pointing to him told her he believed she had got the right sow by the ear crow grumbled that mayhap for all that 
he should not be brought up by such a grappling neither then he asked if this cunning man dealt with the devil declaring in that case he would keep clear of him for why because he must have sold himself to old scratch and being a servant of the devil how could he be a good subject to his majesty mrs cook assured him the conjurer was a good christian and that he gained all his knowledge by conversing with the stars and planets thus satisfied the two friends resolved to consult him as soon as it should be light and being directed to the place of his habitation set out for it by seven in the morning they found the house forsaken and had already reached the end of the lane in their return when they were accosted by an old woman who gave them to understand that if they had occasion for the advice of a fortune-teller as she did suppose they had from their stopping at the house where dr grubble lived she would conduct them to a person of much more eminence in that profession at the same time she informed them that the said grubble had been lately sent to bridewell a circumstance which with all his art he had not been able to foresee the captain without any scruple put himself and his companion under convoy of this belle dame who through many windings and turnings brought them to the door of a ruinous house standing in a blind alley which door having opened with a key drawn from her pocket she introduced them into a parlour where they saw no other furniture than a naked bench and some frightful figures on the bare walls drawn or rather scrawled with charcoal here she left them locked in until she should give the doctor notice of their arrival and they amused themselves with deciphering these characters and hieroglyphics the first figure that engaged their attention was that of a man hanging upon a gibbet which both considered as an unfavourable omen and each endeavoured to avert from his own person crabshaw observed that the figure so suspended was clothed in a sailor's jacket and trousers a truth which the captain could not deny but on the other hand he affirmed that the said figure exhibited the very nose and chin of timothy together with the hump on one shoulder a warm dispute ensued and being maintained with much acrimonious altercation might have dissolved the new cemented friendship of those two originals had it not been interrupted by the old sibyl who coming into the parlour intimated that the doctor waited for them above she likewise told them that he never admitted more than one at a time this hint occasioned a fresh contest the captain insisted upon crabshaw's making sail ahead in order to look out afore but timothy persisted in refusing this honour declaring he did not pretend to lead but he would follow as in duty bound the old gentlewoman abridged the ceremony by leading out crabshaw with one hand and locking up crow with the other the former was dragged upstairs like a bear to the stake not without reluctance and terror which did not at all abate at the sight of the conjurer with whom he was immediately shut up by his conductress after she had told him in a whisper that he must deposit a shilling in a little black coffin supported by a human skull and thigh-bones crossed on a stool covered with black bays 
that stood in one corner of the apartment. The squire, having made this offer with fear and trembling, ventured to survey the objects around him, which were very well calculated to augment his confusion. He saw divers skeletons hung by the head, the stuffed skin of a young alligator, a calf with two heads, and several snakes suspended from the ceiling, with the jaws of a shark and a starved weasel. On another funeral table he beheld two spheres, between which lay a book open, exhibiting outlandish characters and mathematical diagrams. On one side stood an inkstandish with paper, and behind this desk appeared the conjurer himself, in sable vestments, his head so overshadowed with hair, that, far from contemplating his features, Timothy could distinguish nothing but a long white beard, which, for aught he knew, might have belonged to a four-legged goat, as well as to a two-legged astrologer. This apparition, which the squire did not eye without manifest discomposure, extended a white wand, made certain evolutions over the head of Timothy, and having muttered an ejaculation, commanded him, in a hollow tone, to come forward and declare his name. Crabshaw, thus adjured, advanced to the altar, and whether from design or, which is more probable, from confusion, answered, Samuel Crow. The conjurer, taking up the pen, and making a few scratches on the paper, exclaimed, in a terrific accent, "'How, miscreant, attempt to impose upon the stars? You look more like a crab than a crow, and was born under the sign of cancer.' The squire, almost annihilated by this exclamation, fell upon his knees, crying, "'I pray you, my lord conjurer's worship, pardon my ignorance.' and don't go to bind me over to the Red Sea like. I's a poor Yorkshire tyke, and would no more cheat the stars than I'd cheat me own father, as the saying is, I must be a good hand at trapping that catches the stars and napping. But as your honour's worship observed, my name is Tim Crabshaw of the East Riding, groom and squire to Sir Lancelot Greaves, Baron Knight, and Arrant Knight. Who ran mad for a wench, as your worship's conjuration well knoweth. The person below is Captain Crow, and we come by Marjorie Cook's recommendation to seek after my master, who is gone away, or made away, the Lord he knows how and where. Here he was interrupted by the conjurer, who exhorted him to sit down and compose himself till he should cast a figure. Then he scrawled the paper and waving his wand, repeated abundance of gibberish concerning the number, the names, the houses, and revolutions of the planets, with their conjunctions, oppositions, signs, circles, cycles, trines, and trigons. When he perceived that this artifice had its proper effect in disturbing the brain of Crabshaw, he proceeded to tell him from the stars that his name was Crabshaw, or Crabscraw, that he was born in the East Riding of Yorkshire, of poor yet honest parents, and had some skill in horses. 
that he served a gentleman whose name began with the letter G, which gentleman had run mad for love and left his family, but whether he would return alive or dead, the stars had not yet determined. Poor Timothy was thunderstruck to find the conjurer acquainted with all these circumstances, and begged to know if he might be so bold as to ask a question or two about his own fortune. The astrologer pointing to the little coffin, our squire understood the hint, and deposited another shilling. The sage had recourse to his book, erected another scheme, performed once more his airy evolutions with the wand, and having recited another mystical preamble, expounded the book of fate in these words. You shall neither die by war nor water, by hunger or by thirst, nor be brought to the grave by old age or distemper. But let me see. Aye, the stars will have it so. You shall be exalted, ha? Huh? Aye, that is, hanged for horse-stealing. Oh, good my lord conjurer, roared the squire. I'd as lief give forty shillings as be hanged. Peace, sirrah, cried the other. Would you contradict or reverse the immutable decrees of fate? Hanging is your destiny, and hanged you shall be. And comfort yourself with the reflection that as you are not the first, so neither will you be the last to swing on Tyburn Tree. This comfortable assurance composed the mind of Timothy, and in a great measure reconciled him to the prediction. He now proceeded in a whining tone to ask whether he should suffer for the first fact, whether it be for a horse or a mare, and of what colour that he might know when his hour was come. The conjurer gravely answered that he would steal a dappled gelding on a Wednesday, be cast at the Old Bailey on Thursday, and suffer on a Friday, and he strenuously recommended it to him to appear in the cart with a nosegay in one hand, and the whole duty of man in the other. "'But if in case it should be in the winter,' said the squire, "'when a nosegay can't be had?' "'Why, then,' replied the conjurer, "'an orange will do as well.' These material points being adjusted to the entire satisfaction of Timothy, he declared he would bestow another shilling to know the fortune of an old companion, who truly did not deserve so much at his hands but he could not help loving him better than e'er a friend he had in the world. So saying, he dropped a third offering in the coffin, and desired to know the fate of his horse, Gilbert. The astrologer, having again consulted his art, pronounced that Gilbert would die of the staggers, and his carcass be given to the hounds, a sentence which made a much deeper impression upon Crabshaw's mind, than did the prediction of his own untimely and disgraceful fate. He shed a plenteous shower of tears, and his grief broke forth in some passionate expressions of tenderness. At length he told the astrologer he would go and send up the captain, who wanted to consult him about Marjorie Cook, because as how she had informed him that Dr. Grubble had described just such another man as the captain for her true love and he had no great stomach to the match, if so be as the stars were not bent upon their coming together. Accordingly, the squire being dismissed by the conjurer, 
descended to the parlour with a rueful length of face which being perceived by the captain he demanded what cheer ho with some signs of apprehension crabshaw making no return to this salute he asked if the conjurer had taken an observation and told him anything then the other replied he had told him more than he desired to know why and that be the case said the seaman i have no occasion to go aloft this trip brother this evasion would not serve his turn old tisiphone was at hand and led him up growling into the hall of audience which he did not examine without trepidation having been directed to the coffin where he presented half a crown in hope of rendering the fates more propitious the usual ceremony was performed and the doctor addressed him in these words approach raven the captain advancing you ain't much mistaken brother said he heave your eye into the binnacle and box your compass you'll find i'm a crow not a raven though if indeed they be both fowls of a feather as the saying is i know it cried the conjurer thou art a northern crow a sea crow not a crow of prey but a crow to be preyed upon a crow to be plucked to be flayed to be basted to be broiled by marjorie upon the gridiron of matrimony the novice changing colour at this denunciation i do understand your signals brother said he and if it be set down in the log-book of fate that we must grapple well then where timbers but as i know how the land lies do you see and the current of my inclination sets me off i shall haul up close to the wind and mayhap we shall clear cape marjorie but howsomever we shall leave that reef in the foretop sail i was bound upon another voyage you see to look and to see and to know if so be as how i could pick up any intelligence along shore concerning my friend sir lancelot who slipped his cable last night and has lost company you see what exclaimed the cunning man art thou a crow and canst not smell carrion if thou wouldst grieve for greaves behold his naked carcass lies unburied to feed the kites the crows the gulls the rooks and ravens what brooch too dead as a boiled lobster odds heart friend these are the heaviest tidings i've heard these seven long years there must have been deadly odds when he lowered his topsails smite my eyes i'd rather the mufti had found it at sea with myself and all my generation on board well fare thy soul flower of the world had honest sam crow been within ale but what signifies palavering here the tears of unaffected sorrow flowed plentifully down the furrows of the seaman's cheeks then his grief giving way to his indignation hark ye brother conjurer said he you can spy foul weather before it comes in your eyes why did you not give us warning of this here squall bust my limbs i'll make ye give an account of this here damned horrid confounded murder d'ye see mayhap you yourself was concerned d'ye see for my part brother i put my trust in god and steer by the compass and i value not your poor wooing and your conjuration of a rope's end d'ye see the conjurer was by no means pleased either with the matter or the manner of this address 
he therefore began to soothe the captain's collar by representing that he did not pretend to omniscience which was the attribute of god alone that human art was fallible and imperfect and all that it could perform was to discover certain partial circumstances of any particular object to which its inquiries were directed that being questioned by the other man concerning the cause of his master's disappearing he had exercised his skill upon the subject and found reason to believe that sir lancelot was assassinated that he should think himself happy in being the instrument of bringing the murderers to justice though he foresaw they would of themselves save him that trouble for they would quarrel about dividing the spoil and one would give information against the other the prospect of this satisfaction appeased the resentment and in some measure mitigated the grief of captain crow who took his leave without much ceremony and being joined by crabshaw proceeded with a heavy heart to the house of sir lancelot where they found the domestics at breakfast without exhibiting the least symptom of concern for their absent master crow had been wise enough to conceal from crabshaw what he had learned of the knight's fate this fatal intelligence he reserved for the ear of his nephew mr clark who did not fail to attend him in the forenoon as for the squire he did nothing but ruminate in rueful silence upon the dappled gelding the nosegay and the predicted fate of gilbert him he forthwith visited in the stable and saluted with the kiss of peace then he bemoaned his fortune with tears and by the sound of his own lamentation was lulled asleep among the litter End of chapter 22